Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, I'd love to pray for us as we now turn our attention to God's Word. God, thank you so much that we can gather. That we can be together in this place, uh, together with one another as a church family. God, I pray that we don't take that for granted. We appreciate the fact that we get to gather with this community, with this body, and come to you. Come before you, your throne, your face, and see you. God, that we can be here together. And Lord, we want to receive from you. Wherever we are this morning, whether we feel like we're hurried and, and it was chaotic to get out the door or whether we're, we're here slowly and, and, and we have plenty of time, God, I pray wherever we are that we come ready right now to receive from you. Lord, we want to hear from your word. We want to hear what it is that you have for us today. So thank you, Father, for who you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So today is the last Sunday in this series in Exodus that we're doing. And, and so I want to ask this question for us to kind of get our minds uh, oriented to what God's going to teach us today. What does it take to change? Like, how do we change? Like, what does it uh, take for us to be changed? So, like, I'm curious. Today is April 2nd. We're, we're in the fourth month of the year. Do you remember your New Year's resolution? Like, do, do you remember? Did anybody do that? And, and if you did, do you remember it? Uh, sometimes I think we even forget, but, you know, maybe you still remember. But I'm curious, when, when did you kind of like, oh, okay, it's not working, or you kind of gave up on it? Or, or maybe you're having a lot of success, like it's still going, awesome. But like when you think of New Year's resolutions, do we, do we find these moments where it's like, mm, uh, it's not going to work out, and, and it's not going to produce the change that I'm looking for, right? right? That's just kind of the pattern. I, I don't really do year's resolutions anymore, mostly for that reason. Like, I just, I'd try something and then it just wouldn't stick. And so, like, if, if we can't make a resolution, you know, this time of the year when things are fresh and new, we're heading into a new year, and we can't leverage that to produce change, well, what does it take to change? Like, what kinds of things can we do that, that allow us to be changed for us to, to do things differently? Because like New Year's resolutions, often it's like, oh, I want to lose a few pounds or I want to exercise or I want to read a book, uh, you know, a month or something like that. Those are great things, like not to diminish. But what about the things that are more important? The things about yourself that you don't make New Year's resolutions about, but man, you wish were different. Maybe it's the fact that like man, every relationship I get into, it just seems to sabotage it. Like, I, I just, I cannot make healthy choices when it comes to relationships. Maybe you feel like you're just a compulsive fixer. Like, I got to fix everything. I got to fix everybody. And, and it never seems to work out. The, the, the things in our life that we just can't seem to shake, that seem to come back over us. And almost like this addictive sort of thing. Like, what do we do about those? What do we do about these things that just more importantly, need to be changed, but we can't. How do we change? How are we changed? Our story today is going to answer that question. So I just put this before you. How do, how do we change? 
What is it that leads us to be different? Today we're going to look at Exodus and see a story that's going to help us tackle this question. So if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through this story of the Exodus. This is the story of Israel, God's people, and they were slaves. They were, they were trapped. They were oppressed. And, and God does miraculous things to save them. He brings in Moses, this, this famous character, and says, I want you to lead my people out. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, let him go. And Pharaoh's like, no way. And things get worse. And so God steps in. And he steps in in miraculous kinds of ways. He does the, the ten signs, the ten plagues, and over and over again, it's like, Pharaoh, please let them go. Please let them go. And it's just this escalating tension till finally Pharaoh does. And, and we see then the people are, are brought out of, of Egypt, but Pharaoh changes his mind one more time, and, and God has to do a miraculous thing of bringing them through the Red Sea. He delivers them. He rescues them in an incredible kind of way. And then they journey through the wilderness and head to Mount Sinai. And, and things aren't always working out in this time, but God says, hey, I want to be with you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. We're going to enter into a relationship. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. And so here's how you do it. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. They've been given the, the law, the covenant. They've been given this, this relationship. But we're going to see that things aren't all as they should be. But throughout this series, we've been looking at this story as a way to understand our story, who we are, because what we see is they are like us. Sometimes we kind of distance ourselves, like, nah, it's not, I, don't, I don't relate to that, but if you really dig deep, you can see that their story is our story. It tells us about who God is and about who we are. Well, today... We're going to come to a moment in the story that's going to solidify all of this, and it's going to answer this question. How do we really change? We're going to see the full picture of who we are and of who God is. So would you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32? We're going to look at 32 through 34. So it's a lot of text. I won't read it all, but we're going to, we're going to highlight a few pieces along the way and, and help us to see here, here is who God is. Here's who we are. But we're going to see some surprising things about that. So Exodus, it's the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to be looking at these three chapters all together. So Exodus 32. And so again, here's where we are. Moses, the people, they're at Sinai. They've been given the Ten Commandments. And, and the people are, are rallied around this. And, and they've been given the law. And so Moses, he had come back down, told them some things. Now he's back up on the mountain. And what we see is he's gone for about 40 days. So we're going to pick up the story at the end of that 40 days. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron's Moses' brother. He's the high priest. They said to Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. See, what, what's happening here is they, they said, like, hey, you know, Moses has been gone for a while. Like, make us some gods. They're going back to the way things they are familiar with in Egypt. What they would do is they'd have this image that they'd physically worship. And so what they're saying, Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And notice that language, Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We'll come to that in a minute. Verse 2. 
Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they, they handed to him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So this idol, this picture, this statue of a cow, of a calf. And he took it. He, made, he melted the gold and produced this image. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This right here, this thing in front of us, this represents our gods who brought us out of Egypt. Now, who really brought them out of Egypt? Hold that question in your mind. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards, they, they sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. So, so what's taking place here is that the people, they, they're worshiping this thing. They're at a festival and all this stuff. Now, how well do you know the Ten Commandments? What are the first two? No other gods before me and no other idols. They're 40 days into this relationship, and what do they do? They break these two. Let's keep reading, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Notice the language God is using here. He's now disassociating with the people like, You brought them up. I, I, I mean, you saw with, with the story, God's the one who rescued them, but like, here, Moses, your people. You can feel that disassociation. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord told Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. That image there. If you're thinking of a cow or a calf, an oxen, like pulling a plow, it's like, okay, we need to turn. It's like, no, I'm going to resist, and my neck is stiff, unwielding, unwilling to turn, to follow the direction of the, of the lead. Stiff-necked, I'm stuck in my ways. They're stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So what we see here is that the story has taken a very, very dark turn. Like the people, they, they, they've, they've come to the mountain, they've been rescued, all these things have happened to them, and, and God's entered into this relationship, kind of like a marriage. And what do they do? They cheat on him. The first two commandments, they broke right away. Now, I want to highlight something for you. Not, not is it that God just said, like, okay, here's the Ten Commandments, now go do it all. At, at the end of giving the law, of the, all these instructions, like, hey, here's what it looks like for you to be my people. After hearing all that, chapter 24, verse 3, this is what Moses, he's re reporting all that God has said. He says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. They've committed to it. They said, yes, we're going to do this. This is going to be our commitment. We're going to do it. 
And not a few weeks later, here we are. They've already broken the covenant. They've already sacrificed it. And what happens in in just a little bit, like we're going to skip these verses, but like Moses comes down the mountain, he sees what they're doing, and he smashes the tablets that the Ten Commandments are written on. Now, this wasn't Moses getting angry and just having a fit. Like, he's like, the relationship is severed. You've broken it. It's done. This is what's happened. Like, this is the reality. These people... They've rejected God already. Now, I want to highlight something about what's happening here. Like, we see the story, but what's happening underneath of it? Here's the one thing I want you to see. They fashion God on their terms, and they're disregarding his identity. See, like, at the beginning, it's like, Moses, he's been gone a while. They get impatient. Like, we don't know where he is. So what do they do? It's like, we're going to do what we know how to do. What, the way things were done in Egypt. We're going we're gonna to create this image and worship that. Like, we're going to take God and we're going to put him in our box. We're going to define how this works. We're going to do this on our terms. We're going to take matters into our own hands. And they are defining who God is and the way that he is. That's what's happening here. Like, they're taking this image of a calf and saying, here, here it is. Here's how we're going to do this. And they're putting things in their box. This is what's happening here. And so what we see is that Moses, he comes down into this, and he's like, this is not the way things are supposed to be. But he has one particular conversation I want to look at, Aaron. You see, Aaron, this is Moses' brother, and he's supposed to be the high priest. And the high priest is supposed to mediate between the people and God, representing the people to God, and God to the people. And he's supposed to lead them in the way that they should go. And if you know your Bible, if you know Exodus well, the, the few chapters right before this, in the law, has been explaining the role of the priest. What garments he's supposed to wear, what the things that he's supposed to do. It's defining, like, here's what the priest looks like. And then we see the actual high priest twisting and messing up his role. And so, he's the one that's leading the people. He's done this idol shaping and all that stuff. Well, Moses comes to him. So look down at verse 21 in chapter 32. This is Moses speaking. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry with me, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Like, this is the way they are. It's like, look at them. Don't look at me. Look at them. They are prone to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Verse 24. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. I mean, like, really? I mean, you, you sense the comedic version here. It's like, oh, it just, it just happened. Like, ah, it's not my fault. But that's what we do, Right? We, we cast blame on other people, or we, t- we avoid responsibility. And that, right here, the high priest is avoiding responsibility. He, he's, not, he's not taking any responsibility. He's just saying, like, no, 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 it just kind of happened. Like, I didn't have anything to do with it. This is what we do, isn't it? 
Human beings, we're, we, we have this tendency where we just want to cast off blame, cast off responsibility. We don't want the burden on our shoulders. Okay, so we're looking at this portion of the story. Like, what does all of this show us? Here's the idea that I think I want you to see right now. The problem is not on the outside. It's on the inside. The problem's not on the outside, it's on the inside. What do I mean by that? So, this people, they've had it all given to them. All of the tools, all the things on the outside that they would need to live out this kind of life. Here, here's what I mean. So, they were slaves. They were oppressed. They, they were stuck. And what did God do? He rescued them. He did crazy, miraculous things in Egypt. And he brought them out. And he even parted a sea to deliver them and save them. Like, they have had the experience. They've had the circumstances change. I think sometimes when we want to change, we look to experiences. We look at outside of ourselves to our circumstances. And we say, if like, oh, if I were just to have this thing happen to me, if this kind of thing were to, were to occur, then, then, then things would change. You know, if I just had a little bit more money, or, or if I just had another opportunity come through, or, or just the right connection, then, 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 things would change. They had that. They had the experience. Like, this all miraculously occurred for them. Like, what more could you ask for? God came through for them. They were slaves, and now they're free, all by his power. They had the experience. But maybe that's not the only thing. Maybe it's not just experience. Maybe if I just had a little bit more knowledge, like if I learned the right things, like if I were taught the right things, they had that too. The Ten Commandments, the law, he instructed them, this is the way that you should go. Let me tell you what life looks like. Here's how it goes best, and let me teach you. And here it is, all written out. They were given the law. They were given the knowledge that they needed. And if, yeah, man, if I just learned a little bit more, if I just knew the right thing, then, then things would be different. They were given that. And, and maybe you're, you're kind of like, okay, sure, but what about, like, that, that drive, that will, like, the behavior piece? Like, what about that? We just read it. Chapter 24, they agreed to do all that the Lord had commanded them. The drive is there. The choice is there. Like, the commitment is there. The will is there. They have it all right there set up for them. And yet, what do we see? The way of sin, the way of Pharaoh, this tension that has existed in the entire story of Exodus is still present. This people, they're out of Egypt. They've been taught the way they should be, and they've agreed to that. And yet, here we are. The same kinds of things are happening. What we see, the way to change, the way to things being different in life is not better experiences. It's not more knowledge. It's not greater will or desire. Those are all external, out there kinds of things. And we see they have all that. And the, still the problem exists. My contention to you is that the problem is not on the outside. It's on the inside. The problem exists in here. I'm curious if you can resonate with that. You probably have had moments where an experience 
or, or a moment where you've been taught some stuff and, and some things like have come together and you saw change because of that. That's great. But fundamentally, like, when we get back to the serious things of life, what really produces change? Better experiences or circumstances? More knowledge? Greater drive or will? Those things do not come through. Because the problem's not on the outside. Problem's inside. When I was in college, I've, I've shared a lot about this time of my life because it was a very formative time for me. Um, I, I was the kind of kid, the, the kind of student who did well, like I wanted to do well, I wanted to get good grades, I wanted to perform, ex- succeed, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I did that on, on the track, I was a runner. And, and so all of these things, like I, I was determined to do my best. That was drilled into me. I work hard, that kind of thing. And yet in college, I just had these moments where I just felt like I couldn't quite measure up. I just was overwhelmed. I was getting burned out. My grades were starting to slip. I felt like I just couldn't keep up with all the different plates. And, and I just, my desire or my, my choice was to like keep working harder, just give more time, give more energy, get, get, get it to work out more. And it was all of this. And I got to the point where my junior year, I was just spent. I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I was empty. I, I didn't have any more to give. And I'm grateful. I had people in my life who saw this happening, started to call attention to it and said, like, hey, this, this is not healthy. We need to have a different approach. And there wasn't a moment, it's like, all of a sudden, okay, I see my problem, everything's all better. Like, it's only now, you know, 10, 15 years after all of that, like, oh, I see it. I see more clearly what was going on there. Desire knowledge, experience, all of these things, they're helpful, but they in and of themselves are not enough because the problem's inside. So what's the solution? If it's not these things that we keep talking about, the problem's on the inside, then what can we do? Is there a solution? Is there a way forward? Like, can anything be done? Yes. Let's look now at the character of Moses. So come back with me to chapter 32 and look at verse 11. So this is after God has said, like, I see what these people have done. Leave me alone. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to destroy them. We see Moses respond. So verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? with great power and a mighty hand. See, right, right here, God, he's reminding God, like, you're the one that brought them out. Now, you, you, you might be kind of wondering, like, what's really going on here? Like, was God really going to destroy them? Was he angry like it feels like he was? And then is Moses doing something here? What I think God is doing, he knows what's happened. He, he remembers that he brought the people out. He is inviting Moses into the conversation. He's inviting Moses into something more. So let's see what that is. So, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? So here, what Moses is doing is like, why should the Egyptians think this stuff? Now, if you've been with us, we, we, we mentioned this several times through the series. One of the things that God wanted to do was to help everyone understand who he is. 
particularly the Egyptians. So all the things that he was doing, all of these signs, these, these miracles that he was doing, so that they would know that I am the Lord. This is who I am. This is my character. He wanted the Egyptians to know that. Right here, Moses is appealing to that. He's like, this was your purpose, remember? Like, this is why you did all this. You want them to know who you are. He's reminding God of that. He's appealing to his character. So let's keep reading. Turn from your fierce anger and relent. Do not bring disaster on your people. Verse 13. Remember. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I have promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. He's appealing to God's commitment, this promise that he made you know, years and years ago to Abraham and, and in his family that they were going to become numerous and they were going to have this land. He's appealing to that commitment that God made. All of this is, is Moses coming and saying, God, this is who you are. He's reflecting that back to God. God didn't need to be reminded of that. He's inviting Moses to do something, to step into a particular role. And so what Moses is doing is he's reminding God, here's who you are, here's your character, because I've seen it. I've learned who you are. I've seen what you have done. So then we get verse 14. Sorry, I lost my place there. Then the Lord relented and did not bring the, on his people the disaster that he had threatened. He's invited Moses to change things, to change outcomes. I, I think God is engaging in this relationship with Moses because Moses has been learning along the way who God is. Think back to chapter three. Moses, this guy that God shows up to, is like, I want you to lead my people. Don't ask me to do that. Like, I can't speak. They aren't gonna believe me. Like, who are you? Like, now Moses, stepping up. God, remember who you are. Remember what you have done. Like, this is the same Moses. But I think he's also learned something else that I want to look at next. So jump down to verse 30. So Moses comes down the mountain. He sees all that's happening and a lot transpires. And, and, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do something now. So verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This word atonement, it's kind of a fancy church word. It means reparation or restoration. It means paying the price for something to restore or repair. So where there's wrong or there's injury, this is a way to like make things right. That's what this word means. Atonement is setting things right. It's making payment or reparation for. So that's what Moses is saying. Like maybe I can, I can fix this. Maybe I can step in and make things right. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, What a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. And But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. So what Moses is doing here is he's gone up to the Lord. He's like, they have done a wrong. I'm acknowledging that. But don't destroy them. 
forgive them, forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out instead. Take my name out of this book. So what he's talking about is back then, um, any communities, towns, villages, cities, they would often collect all of the people, their names, into one place so they know, here's, here's our community. Here's the set of people that belong. It was like a census. Essentially, what, what he's saying here is that census of like your people, people that belong to you, don't blot them out, blot me out instead. Because what would happen is if someone would die or move away, they, they'd blot that name out. They'd take that name out. Someone's born, they'd add or moved into the community. They, they'd change over time based on, on change in the community. What Moses is saying here, don't blot them out. Blot me out instead. Blot my name in their place. I think Moses has seen God's character. He's learned along the way. This is the way that God acts, particularly in the Passover. There we saw substitution. One person being saved on behalf of something else. This lamb was put in place of the people. Substitution. Moses is embodying that right now. I will take their place. I will be their substitute. Blot my name out instead of theirs. Moses Moses has learned God's character. He's learned how God works, and he's now saying, I will do this. So what we see, I think, is that since this problem is on the inside of people, something needs to be done. What we need is a mediator. We need a mediator. Someone to come in and do the right thing on our behalf. That's what Moses is doing. He's stepping in. He went from this guy who is afraid to speak, like, don't send me, to now, I will lay my life down for these people. And where did he get that? He got that from God. He has learned along the way. This is the way that God works. Moses understands a mediator is needed. And so the Lord, he relents. He turns, like, we won't walk down this road because I find favor with you. And that's what happens. Like Moses has now secured grace from the Lord on behalf of the people. He has stepped in as defender. He stepped in as, as substitute. And he's like, here, I will, I will do this on your behalf. We need a mediator. That's what this story is pointing us to. We need a mediator. But I'm curious. If you're kind of wondering, like, okay, mediator, that's cool. But how does that actually change anything? Like, how does that produce change in us, really? Like, Moses, he's kind of going up and speaking, but like, what, what difference is that really making on the inside? The next part that we're going to look at will show us how this actually works. So, I'd like you to turn uh, to chapter 34, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. So this is Moses and God. He's been up there and he's been continuing to intercede. He's been continuing to, to leverage the people's behalf before the Lord. And, and so he's like, Lord, don't leave us. We want you to go with us. Like, please remain with us. Don't abandon us. Not only don't destroy us, but don't leave us. And all the while, he's been appealing to the favor that God has for him. And God has agreed. And so finally, we get to this statement. Show me your glory. What Moses is asking for is like, show me who you really are. And so what God does is like, you can't see me fully and live. 
I'm just, I'm like the sun, like I'm so powerful and bright and it's beautiful, but like it's intense. So I'm going to let you just see like a glimpse of me as I pass by. But there, I will tell you who I am. So pick up at verse 4 in chapter 34. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets just like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, just as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, maintaining steadfast love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is a powerful statement. There's a lot packed in here. And just maybe to give you a little context, these two verses, six and seven, are the most quoted in the Old Testament. These two verses in the Old Testament are the most quoted by the writers. Like they reflect on these couple of verses a lot. And what we see is God's like, here, let me tell you who I am. This is, this is my character. I'm slow to anger. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm faithful. I bring love to thousands of generations. This is who I am. This is what you've experienced. See, if you go back to chapter 3, this is where God reveals his name, Yahweh, which means I will be who I will be. But it's a little mysterious. Like, okay, well, who will you be? I think what we see in the story is that play out. Who is God? He's the one that rescues. He's the one that hears them. He's the one that does these miraculous things. And I think at this moment, he kind of comes back around to that and summarizes this is who I am. This is who you've experienced me to be. I'm compassionate. I am gracious. I give you love and I remain faithful and loyal to you. This, this is who I am. This is what God is telling Moses. It's like, you want to know who's been with you here? This is who I am. And you've seen it. You've seen how I've been with you. This is my character. Now, I'm curious. Was there anything in that, those couple of verses that kind of bothered you? It was a little bit that's like, mm, okay, I don't know what I feel about that. There was a tension, wasn't there? I will show steadfast love to thousands of generations, yet I will not clear the guilty. I will visit iniquity on, on fathers and sons and, and grandchildren, and there's a tension here, right? There's a tension between grace and justice. Did you feel it? And I think probably Moses is, is imagining that a bit too. Now, at this point, like, he's already secured God's grace for the people. Like, God's going to go with them. He's not going to abandon them. Like, okay. But then he makes this claim, like, I'm not going to clear the guilty. Those who have done wrong, like, they're going to receive justice. Like, they're going to receive the consequences. Like, it's going to happen. We feel that tension, right? 
How do these two things go together? This isn't the first time we've seen the tension. We've seen this come up a few times in this story, particularly with Pharaoh. Grace and justice, how do these two things work together? It's unresolved at this moment. Jesus is going to step in, and he's going to resolve the tension. You see, thousands of years later, Jesus would come on the scene, and he would announce the kingdom. And he's like, here, I'm bringing God's kingdom, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what God is like. And then on this day that we remember, Palm Sunday, he's riding on a donkey. People are proclaiming, here's the king, the Messiah. Like, praise him. We're so excited about what's going to come next. He has the authority. He, he's the one who does sit on the throne, and, and he comes in and says, I'm going to resolve this tension, but not in the way that you'd think. You see, Jesus would come in and he would be the mediator. He would come in and lay down his life in substitute for us. And in doing so, brings grace and justice together. Where there needs to be payment, where there does need to be cleansing, Jesus provides that with his blood. And in doing so, he offers grace. He offers us the chance to be made right through an act of compassion. Jesus is bringing grace and justice together. So to the victim, Jesus says, no longer do you have to suffer under your victimhood. No longer do you need to to feel the, the oppression and the burden. Like, I am setting you free. You no longer need to be defined by this. This does not define you. I do. But then to the perpetrator, he says, you don't need to be defined by this either. The wrong that you have done, the things that, you have, that have been offensive, that have harmed people, I pay for that. I make things right. But more than that, you are not defined by that either. I make you into a new person. You no longer are the same that you used to be, but now you are different. And that evil has been put to death. And Jesus does all of that in his body on the cross. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy that God told the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart. This heart of stone that you have, I'm going to take that out. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh because you need a new heart. Paul would later show up and he would announce in in 2 Corinthians, like, you are a new creation. Any of you who are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What Jesus does is he gives us a new heart. He, by his grace, his mercy, and his justice, make us into new people. What Jesus does is he brings transformation. And there's the answer. How do we change? We are transformed by Jesus. Jesus offers us true transformation from the inside out. That's what he does. That's how things change. Jesus is the one who brings transformation. That's what's happening here. Transformation. You see, now Moses... He's playing this role of mediator, but he couldn't secure that transformation. He himself would fall short. 
He, he himself would not fulfill the role completely the way that he needed to. We needed someone who would do it fully, fully, completely, all the way down to our core, and that is what Jesus does. He offers us true transformation. And that's how we see that our story is their story. See, we've been tracking through this whole narrative in the book of Exodus. And we've been seeing the foundation of the gospel being built, this, the message of Jesus, what Jesus is going to come and do. And so today we finally get this capstone, like here it is all brought together. So just as a quick reminder, here's the different concepts throughout the series that we've been building towards. So week one was slavery, like they are slaves in Egypt physically, but we're slaves spiritually. We may not be under someone's oppression in, in the physical world, but as non-believers, before we come to Jesus, we are slaves to sin and death and evil, brokenness. That, that is where we're stuck. But God steps in and says, that's not your identity. Here's who I am. I will be who I will be. Here's who you are. Your identity is grounded in me. So I'm asking you to trust me. And that was Moses' message to the people. Trust him. But things got worse and it, it tested them. Like, will we trust? And will we trust that leads to turning Will we turn? Will we go a different direction? Will we align not to the way of Pharaoh and the way of this world, but will we align to God's way? Will we trust him and go with him? That's repentance. That's turning. But we see in the Passover substitution. We've hinted at that already. God stepping in and replacing. On our behalf, we have a substitute, someone who, who comes in and takes our place, leading to deliverance. Deliverance, salvation, rescue, like he steps in and rescues us. That's what the Red Sea was all about. But as we saw after that, they, they went into the wilderness, and it wasn't simply about like, okay, we're, we're all better now, we're rescued, that's all said and done. Like, no, there's a journey that we've got to work on. We've got to learn our identity. We've got to learn to trust because it's not a destination. It's a journey. But all of that happens in relationship which is what the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, was all about. God stepping in and said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to be in relationship with you. But as we saw, all the externals could not produce the change that was needed. What's needed is transformation. And we see that today. Jesus gives us a new heart. He makes us different people. He now steps in to provide what we could not for ourselves. The gospel in Exodus. This is what Jesus came to do. So, what do we now do with this? Like, how do we actually change? Like, what, what is it that, that we can do hearing that Jesus gives us transformation? Here are three things that I, I would suggest to you that help us get down the road just a little bit. This isn't going to be the whole process. It's not going to be all the details, but here, here are three takeaways that we're, I think, to hear by way of transformation. So number one, get to know who God is on his terms. We want to get to know who God is. Who, who is he? What kind of God is he? What is he like? We do that by reading the story. Reading the scriptures, understanding like how God has interacted with people in the past. We want to get to know him, but not assume that we've got it all figured out. We don't want to put him into our box, but we want to be open-handed and say, maybe I don't have him all figured out yet. 
He is a person. He is dynamic and complex. So get to know him. Get to know him on his terms. That's number one. Number two, trust Jesus and let him change you. Just like my story, you know, I, I was trying to manifest change in my own life. Like, that's the wrong posture to have. The right posture is surrender. And surrendering is a trust act. We need to trust Jesus. We need to let him do his work inside of us. It's not something we produce, but rather we submit and receive. So where can you cultivate trust? Where can you allow him to move in your heart and in your body, in your mind? Allow him to do the work of change. And I think if we do that, that'll lead to number three. We will become aware of our heart tendencies. Where are we like the Israelites wanting to do a golden calf kind of thing? Where are our tendencies to go a certain way? We become more and more aware of that as we see Jesus working in our hearts. So we allow the spirit to move and, and transform us. We're going to become aware of our tendencies. It's good to become aware of them. It's good to see where we are drawn and where we lean. Because when we do, then we can allow him to speak gospel truth to us. Move in particular ways. So allow him to do his work and allow him to highlight, here's where I want you to change. Become aware of your tendencies. Bottom line for today, though, that I want you to, to, to hear and walk away with. Jesus, he offers us true transformation that comes from the inside out. It doesn't happen out here. It's not with the right experiences, you know, coming to church and oh, I feel really good when I walk out. It's not about that, though it's really good to do that. It's also not about just hearing good information from the scriptures, though that's really, really important. And it's also not this desire to drive towards change. Like, that's really good, but we will not come through. What we need is a posture of surrender to receive. Allow him to do his work inside of us. Because Jesus offers true transformation from the inside out. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this good news. That transformation is not something that we can manufacture or produce on our own, but rather it's something that you do in and through us. So God, I pray we would set our eyes solely on you. Wherever there are things in our life that aren't the way they should be, God, would we submit them to you? Would we see that you are faithful? Would we see that you are working, that you are good? And would we trust you? God, I pray that as we continually seek you throughout the week, we do so knowing that you never waver, that you are faithful, you are strong, you are solid and steadfast. So no matter what comes, Lord, we can lean into you. Help us to do that. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.